Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Elmo's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory, all with great warranties, great pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And not only that, great service department that makes it one-stop vehicle shopping, whether it's routine oil changes, inspections, diagnostics. They handle it all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ray Dittinger in a moment, but first, our play-by-play call of the day. Runners go. Pitch is lined out toward right field. It's deep. Acuna's going back. It's good! The Phillies take the lead. A three-run home run by Bryson Stotts. He got a pitch he could handle, and he smoked it into the seats in right field. And the Phillies have turned this game around. Only the second home run allowed this year by Minter. Tommy McCarthy with another great call on the Phillies TV network. Bryson Stott has been a guest on this show before. With a big home run there. Great prospect. Now, always great to spend any time with Ray Dinninger, the Hall of Famer. Sir, welcome. It's great to have you back with us. Always great to be with you, Steve. All right. Uh, Boy, it's quite an exciting time for you uh, because there's a lot going on, starting with a book signing coming up. What kind of reception have you been getting with this everywhere you go? Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, the book has done has done really well. I mean, you you know, you write your memoir. You never know if anybody's going to care. <laughs> but uh, the, the response the response has been really good. Um, you know, it's a look back at uh, my 53 years in the business, uh, and it covers you know all the highlights and all the heartbreaks and all of that. And it's something that uh, anybody who's a Philadelphia fan can certainly relate to, but uh, it's been really good. It's been well-received by people that weren't even Philadelphia fans that just wanted to look back at this, you know, this last 50 years of, uh, of sports because there's there's things in there from the Olympics and, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's mostly Philly, but it also takes a wide view of the world of sports, and people have really enjoyed it. So, yeah, that's um, I'll be doing the book signing this uh, Sunday at the yep. uh, Barnes & Noble in Lancaster uh, and uh, from 1 to 3, so I'm hoping some folks will come out and say hi. Yeah, 1 to 3 at the Barnes & Noble in Lancaster and also then Tommy and me is going to be on the at the Hershey Theater August 18th to the 20th and we'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, you mentioned the highs and the, and the heartbreaks. How much of the heartbreak for you along the way has been Personal, either job-wise or a great disappointment. How much of it's been surrounding the teams you covered? Um, it's been it's been really great. I mean, I, I I mean, there's been some disappointments without without a doubt, uh, but for the most part, it's been great. I mean, I'm I'm the only reporter um, I'm the only reporter who covered um, 
who is here to cover the Flyers' two Stanley Cups, 74 and 75, Mm -hmm. Phillies World Series in 80, um, the Sixers winning the championship with Dr. J and Moses in 83-84, and then, of course, Super Bowl 52. Uh, I'm the only guy that that covered all four championships. I'm the only guy that attended all four parades. Uh, and um, and so I feel, you know, as a Philadelphia native, somebody that grew up here, somebody that grew up in this sports town and uh, with a family of sports fans, they, having been able to be a witness to that kind of history uh, and then be able to write about it uh, has been has been an incredible blessing. I've, I've really enjoyed it. All right. You mentioned Leonard Duran. Was it both fights or just the New Orleans No Moss fight? Oh no, I did. I did uh, both the first two. I did. Uh, I did Laurent, that, I did Leonard Duran number one, which was in Montreal. Yeah, Montreal. Uh, yeah. And then uh, and then the rematch, which the first one Duran won, uh, and then I covered the rematch down in the Superdome down in New Orleans, which was the that's the one everybody remembers. That was Nomas. Right. But the first one was pretty historic in its own right, in that that was the first time Sugar Ray Leonard had ever tasted defeat. Uh, I mean, yeah. nobody, everybody kind of thought that he was going to deal. He was going to take care of Duran because people. A lot of people were writing Duran off. They thought he was on the downside of his career. Uh, and Duran fought a very smart fight. He uh, he sort of in the in the run up to the fight, he you know he belittled Ray Leonard. He you know he sort of embarrassed him and uh, and kind of bullied him in public events at the weigh-in and everything. And he kind of goaded Ray into into abandoning his strength, which was really boxing. And he sort of he sort of brought Ray Leonard into this idea that okay, I'm going to trade punches with this guy, which is exactly what Duran wanted him to do. Uh, and that was how he beat him. Uh, and then when they had the rematch. You know, Ray recognized what a mistake that was, and when they fought the second time, Ray made sure that Durant fought his fight. And once he did that, it was, it was, it was eight rounds of pretty much Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray Leonard dominance. Yeah, no question. And now, in your dealings in the two fights, Angelo Dundee is got, if I recall correctly, is the guy that's in Sugar Ray's corner. Right. Uh, how much dealing did you have with him? And if so, what was he like to deal with? Oh, he was a pleasure. Uh, Angie was, uh, you know, he was... um he was a great psychologist. Uh, a lot of what he did, you know, the, the Sugar Ray's real trainer was a guy named Jenks Morton, who had yes. who had worked with him from the time he, you know, he met him uh, as a as a kid, as a Golden Gloves kid, you know, a teenager, uh, and worked with him then. And when he went to the Olympics, and then when he turned pro, Jenks was really the guy that did the hard work. I mean, uh, Angie came in sort of in the final training phase, and then went to the fight and all. But Jenks was really the trainer. But but Angelo was. Uh, um, Angelo was just a, was a great psychologist. He was a he was a guy that uh, kind of made all of his fighters feel invincible. He did, he just had that quality about him, and um, and he it was really it was really interesting to watch because where I was seated for the first one, which was the one in Montreal, I was I was right under the corner of Ray Leonard, uh, and so I heard Angelo the whole fight just you know just telling Ray you know you're. You know you're screwing this up, kid. You're throwing, you're blowing it. You know you're 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 yeah. doing exactly what this guy wants you to do. You know, fight your fight. And uh, you know Ray was just so proud that he wouldn't do that, and it wound up with he wound up losing. But when they rematched in in New Orleans this time, you know Angelo had enough time to show him the film and to show him that this is this is not the way to go about it. And then once Ray once Ray decided that was the strategy he was going to use, then then he pretty much dominated Duran in the rematch. And you talked about covering other series, a Stanley Cup series, an NBA Finals series, a World Series. 
adjustments happen in between games of those series. But I've always had the theory, Ray, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in this. I always feel it's one thing for the winning team to say, we need to make some adjustments, and everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the team that loses says, yeah, we need to make adjustments. In some ways, is that what happened with Leonard? Like, I made adjustments because I lost, I had to? Yeah, no question. No question. I mean, he he realized, I mean, he realized when it was over that uh, that that his approach was totally wrong. Um, but he just got, uh, you know, what Duran made it, uh, the first fight, Duran just made it a, a macho thing. It was just, you know, I'm going to show you that I'm more macho than you are. Uh, and Ray, and he sort of belittled Ray, and he sort of suggested in his interviews that Ray was a fraud and that, uh, you, know, he, you know, he had the whole gold medal thing. And remember, he was doing commercials, and he was on The yeah. Tonight Show. And, you know, and, and Duran was sort of suggesting that you're not a real fighter. You know, and, and, you know, you're undefeated and you're making all this money, but you're not a real fighter. Uh, and, you know, Ray, you know, Ray was up, was angry about that. And then he decided, okay, I'm not, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to show this guy. I'm going to show the whole world that, you know, I can, I can go toe to toe with Roberto Duran. I can go toe to toe with the hands of stone and, uh, and beat him. And he found out that he couldn't. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, he realized he realized when it was over, and he and he sort of admitted as much in the in the post fight press conference that you know I, I was stupid. I, I, you know, I got away from my game plan. You know, Jenks told me what to do, Angie told me what to do, and I was I was just too dumb to do it. Um, but when they scheduled the rematch and they fought again the second time, you know, Ray exactly knew what he had to do, and Duran had, you know, and they they did it. They, well, they were very smart. They did the rematch almost immediately. I mean, they they fought. It was it was almost a couple months. later. Later. It was an incredibly fast rematch, and it was very smart to do because they knew Duran, being Duran, was going to go back to Panama. And he was just going to party like crazy, uh, and he did. He went. He went back home, and he gained about forty pounds. And then, and then all of a sudden, he had to lose all that weight uh, for the rematch. And uh, you know, and he came into it. He didn't even look the same. He didn't have the same look in his eyes. He was. He um, he, he just didn't look like the same guy. And uh, and when it came down the second time, it was it was pretty much Ray Leonard all the way. Is there an event that you covered? And let's let's I'll take this away from football for a moment. Something non-football that you covered where the experience was so great for you, you sat back and said, "Man, I'm really glad I ended up being assigned to do that." Yeah, um boy, there's so there are so many of those. Um but um I think the I think the one that um, that I I will really remember is the uh, is the and, and this it wasn't even a championship game it just, it certainly felt like it but it wasn't was the game between the Soviet the, the Soviet Red Army hockey team and the Philadelphia oh, yeah. Flyers yes um, when the flyer the Flyers were at that point two time Stanley Cup champions uh, and the Soviet team had just been crushing everybody in North America and were regarded as, as completely unbeatable. I mean, it was, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, it was like nobody can beat these guys. And this was of course, well before Lake Placid, the big upset. Uh, but in, in 1976, I mean, the Soviets were regarded as absolutely the best hockey team in the world and, and nobody could beat them. And, uh, they, they had finished up a tour of North America and the, their last stop was Philadelphia. And they came in and the Flyers were at that point, two time Stanley cup champions. Uh, and it was, you talk about a buildup. I mean, the, build-up into that game was just amazing. And, and the thing that was the backstory to it um, was was as interesting as the game itself in the sense that the Flyers were very unpopular 
champions when they were champions outside of Philadelphia. The right. National Hockey League establishment, the people that ran the league, the you know the Commissioner Clarence Campbell, all the people in the league office, they didn't like the Flyers. They hated the Flyers because of the style of play, the whole Broad Street bully thing. Mm-hmm. They thought that the they thought the Flyers were sullying the sport of hockey, uh, and they didn't think they were worthy champions. But when it came down to that game. And uh, the Soviets had been mopping up all the other NHL teams, and the Flyers were the last chance for the NHL to salvage some pride. All of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden, all those guys in the league office were all came down to Philadelphia, and, you know. And Clarence Campbell came in the Flyers dressing room before the game and tried to give them this speech that you have to go out and win this game for us. And the players basically told Clarence Campbell to go to hell. Uh, they basically threw the commissioner, <laughs> the commissioner of the NHL, out of the locker room because they knew where he was coming from. Uh, and they, they went out. They said, "Look, we're going to go out and win this for ourselves." Uh, and they went out and they and they just dominated the uh, the great Soviet team who won the game going away four to one. It wasn't even that close. Uh, and boy, I mean, I was in the spectrum many times, and I heard it loud many times, but I never I never heard it louder than it was that day when the Flyers beat the Soviet team. And, uh, and that was, you know, like I said, there was no championship at stake, but it sure felt like it that day. Was that the one where they, where the Flyers went after uh, Valerie Karlamov, got him pretty good, and the, the Soviets left the ice, and then suddenly found capitalism in the locker room when they heard they weren't going to get their money? Uh, you have it exactly right, Steve. That's exactly how it happened. Um, that uh, in the second period, um, Valerie Karlamov, who was the, the, the best Soviet player, was carrying the puck down the ice, and Ed Van Imp, the Flyers defenseman, um, hit him with a check, and it was it was actually a clean check. I mean, it was it was just a good solid body check. But throughout the whole game, uh, the, the Flyers had been taking the body and been banging the Soviets around, and uh, and they were getting pretty mad. They were they were fighting with the with the officials who were all. NHL officials, so they were all Canadian, <laughs> uh, and so, they, so the, the, the so the Soviets throughout the game they thought they were getting the short end of the officiating, which I kind of understand where they're coming from here. Uh, but when Eddie Van Imp hit uh, Karamov and uh, and and sent him down, and he, he went down to the ice and stayed down for a little while. He wasn't seriously hurt, but Eddie definitely knocked the wind out of him. Um, the Soviet coach Viktor Tikhonov. Um, just made this gesture, and all of a sudden, all the Soviet players stood up and left the bench and went up the tunnel back to the locker room. Uh, and they said, "That's it. We're going home." And uh, nobody knew what was going to happen. All of a sudden, you know, this game stops, and everybody leaves <laughs> the ice, and people are in the stands, and you know, nobody knows what's going on. And we're in the press box, so I, we, we all kind of went down to the corridor to see what was going on. Uh, and Ed Snyder, uh, the Flyers' owner. Uh, went marching into the uh, Soviet dressing room with an interpreter uh, and uh, and he told them uh, listen uh, you guys you, you walk out of here you, you're, guess what you're not getting the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars you're supposed to get you know if you don't finish the game you ain't getting paid and uh, all of a sudden Karlamov's got all okay, he was on his feet and all the players were on their feet and they went back out and they finished the game not with a whole lot of enthusiasm mind you uh, but they went they went out and they finished the game and they picked up their check and they went home but uh, that was you know at least at least for 48 hours the uh, Philadelphia Flyers were beloved in the National oh. Hockey League and then two oh. days later everybody hated them again Oh yeah, but look, I grew up as a Bruins fan. I was really like heck with the Flyers that day. <laughs> so, uh, all right, uh, training camp's getting underway, and I know for Penn State, Penn State football training camp, Jack Ham and I were just talking this morning. It's going to get underway August first. People talk about spring being feeling like rebirth. I always felt like football season was. How do you view a, an Eagles training camp starting? 
Right. Um, well, it's so different now, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's so it different is. now yeah. with, with the way with the collective bargaining yeah. agreement being what it is. Uh, training camp now is, uh, I mean, it's like four weeks of walkthroughs is really, you know, I, yeah. I, I started covering the Eagles in the early 70s, and I covered them through the whole Vermeil camps. Uh, and those were, th- th- those were brutal. <laughs> I mean, I, I still remember Dick Vermeil's first training camp um, at, uh, at Widener um, in 1976. Um, three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, every day, no days off, full pads, contact every day. Um, I mean, it was just it was just brutal, and that was the way you know. And Dick's feeling was, you know, like we don't have all that much talent, and if we're going to beat teams in the NFL this year, we're going to do it one way. We're going to have to outwork them, and outworking them means like right now in training camp. You know, we we got to work we'll work longer, work harder, work tougher than every other team in the league to make up that talent difference, which was very real. Uh, and that was how Dick built that team. Uh, and he, he really believed, he believes in it to this day. I mean, he goes to the Eagles training camps now, and I've been there with him, and he just stands on the sidelines and watches training camp today, and he just shakes his head. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, guys are out there in shorts and T-shirts and guys taking days off, and, you know, and you have mandated, you know, they have a couple days off during the week. I mean, there were no days off with Dick's training camp. I mean, they went straight yeah. through. But those were the days when they had six preseason games. So, I mean, the, the summer training camp just seemed endless. Uh, it seemed endless for the players and the coaches and the reporters. It, you felt like by the time you got to the season, you were exhausted. But that was, you know, that was the way teams were built back then. And, you know, today it's, it's totally different. You go to training camp now, I mean, I'm, I was sort of being half facetious when I said it's four weeks of walkthroughs. <clears throat> but that, that really is kind of how it feels compared to what it used to be. You got the book signing coming up on um, uh, on the thirty first in Lancaster at Barnes and Noble from one to three, and then at the Hershey Theater, and yep. you're going to have great narrators. You know that'll be a part of it with Ernie Acorsi being the last one coming up. And yep. I guess the advance on that has been outstanding. How gratifying yep. has it been to see it come to life and the response to it? It's been amazing, Steve. It really has been. I mean, we launched Tommy and Me. Um, we, we first performed it in 2016 uh, here in Philadelphia, uh, and it did really well. Uh, I mean, way beyond my expectations. Uh, and then there was so much excitement about it and so much interest in it and so many people talking about it that they decided, okay, let's bring it back again the next year. So they did, 2017, and then 2018 and 2019. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't perform the play in 2020 because of COVID and all theaters right. were closed. But then once we got to 2021, we brought it back twice. We brought it to, uh, uh, to the Delaware Theater Company in Wilmington, and we brought it to the Bucks County Playhouse in New Hope. Uh, and now this year, this is the one I always kind of wanted, Steve. This is the one I always kind of had in the back of my mind, yeah. which was bringing it to the Hershey Theater, which is really where the story of Tommy and me began. Um, I mean, that was where the first time I met Tommy McDonald when I was I was a 10-year-old, freckle-faced 10-year-old with an autograph <laughs> book waiting, waiting outside the locker room, uh, waiting for Tommy McDonald to get his autograph uh, at Hershey, which is where the Eagles had their training camp then. That was where I met him. That was our, where our friendship started, and that's where the the story of Tommy and me started. And so I always kind of hoped that somewhere along the line, I mean, we've moved around, we've performed it in a lot of different places, but I always, always wanted to bring it back to Hershey because to me, you know, that's where the story really began. And I kind of feel like this, you know, this next month when we go there for August 18th, 19th, and 20th, I'm really going to be bringing the story home. And it does bring it home. And I'm sure you're gratified by the great uh, people you'll have involved, Ross Tucker and Ernie and everybody 
being involved yeah. in it as well. Yeah, they uh, yeah Ross you know Ross who's a local guy who's from who's from that area and grew up a big Eagles fan. Um, I approached him because when we do the play, we you know we perform the play and then after every play we have these special guests who come on the stage with the cast uh, and we do questions and answers with the audience and we give the audience an opportunity to ask their questions and interact with the people from the play. That's part of that's part of every performance and uh, I'm, I really feel good that uh, you know Ross agreed to be the guy on opening night on the 18th. And Ernie Acorsi, who had uh, just a tremendous long career in the National Football League, he's in the New York Giants Football Hall of Fame, uh, and is a Hershey native. And, uh, and he grew up around Eagles training camp just like I did. I mean, he was, just, he was like me. He was a little kid. He was a little camp rat. You know, he was just running around, going to practice every day, getting autographs, you know, hoping a football would bounce your way so you could throw it back. I mean, Ernie, Ernie and I kind of grew up the same way. And he's, he's already seen the play once before, and he's really looking forward to seeing it again. He's going to be the, the moderator and the host on the final performance on, on Sunday, August the 20th, which, as you alluded to, I mean, we've already – I think they've already sold like 500 or 600 tickets for that one. I mean, it's the response to it has been very gratifying. And Ernie, of course, by the way, spent a significant time here at Penn State yes, before he moving did. on with his career. So, yes, always a pleasure. I am so thrilled for the success of all of this because nobody deserves it really more than you. You've thrown your heart and soul into every part of your career and your life, and it's great to see everybody appreciate it the way they should. Well, I I appreciate that. It's been uh, it's been terrific. It was it's hard to believe, Steve, when I look back. When I actually when I wrote the book, finished business, looking back and just realizing, my God, it was it was 53 years I did this, uh, and it, it just didn't feel like it. I guess that just tells you how much I enjoyed it. I I really really loved every bit of it, and uh, you know, and, and Tommy and me has been perhaps the most gratifying part of the whole thing because it allows it allows me to kind of relive my youth again. And how fortunate are we that we get a chance to see it through your eyes? Thank you so well, much so. for that. I hope you know. I, yeah, hope, no, I no. hope that folks. I hope that folks come out. I know that. I know that your producer Matt is coming out. He's coming to the Ernie yep. Acorsi show, so I look forward to yep. meeting him there. Absolutely, we can't wait for it. Uh, thanks so much, Ray, as always, and I look forward to our next conversation as always. I do too. Talk to you soon, Steve. Take care. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Matt, you'll be there on the 20th. I great. will. Yeah, taking my dad down. Ray saved, was gracious enough to save two tickets for myself and my dad, fellow Eagles oh, fan. Oh, so that's great. We're going to enjoy great. it. That is so great. Yeah, so I'm really wow. looking forward to it. All right, we've got a lot to break down on Big Ten Media Day. We're going to do that in a moment because there were a lot of subtle subtlety to it that when you really listened to it, you thought, okay, I got some information out of that. We'll do that final half hour on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Hmm. When car repairs get difficult. Well, I, I just don't know. Um, me neither. We get good. Sunbury Motors. More than quality new and used cars, Sunbury Motors specializes in complicated auto repair diagnosis. They can handle intricate repairs and even complete auto body with service open Monday through Friday, 7 till 4. And Sunbury Motors has made simple repairs easy. Maintaining your vehicle is necessary. Finding the time to do it is difficult. Welcome to Sunbury Motors Quick Lane. Open 7 till 4, Monday through Friday. Just walk in or call ahead. Relax in their remodeled waiting room with Wi-Fi, beverages, and snacks. Will Sunbury Motors factory train techs take care of 
your oil change, tire alignments, brakes, and inspections. Quick Lane, 630 to 6, Monday through Friday, Saturday, 630 till 2. Sunbury Motors, Ford and Hyundai, North 4th Street, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. We take the... Mm. Out of auto repair. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. For Kia Hyundai, you have the best in new inventory. Great pre-owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee to go over every vehicle. And a service department that backs it all up and makes it one-stop vehicle shopping. They handle the routine stuff, oil changes, I mean, efficiently, quickly. Not only that, they also do a great job with inspections and the tough stuff, diagnostics. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. I, I can tell you enjoyed the Ray interview. Of course. Always do. Hey. I mean, it, it's you, you can't beat that type of career that he's had. I no, mean, he said that he's had the greatest of careers. I, I'll still, even though it just happened a couple of years ago, just my favorite moment is always going to be when he hugged his son after the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. knowing everything he'd been through, that was just the pinnacle for me. Yeah, uh, I, really, I can't wait to see the play. Oh, no, that's going to be fabulous. I'm going to see if I can work it out to get down there. i got to look at my spike schedule. I just don't. You know what I mean? i got to take a look at that because I'd love to go. So. It is also really neat. We never once mentioned the Yankees. Um <laughs> Other than standing at the top of the show, no. It has been Yankee-free, which is fine. You know, I mean, you know, we're not going to pitch Garrett Cole, kind of a gutless move. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess. All right. So, let's get to Big Ten Media Day. This was the commissioner, Kevin Warren, and he got up and he, you know, he's I think he spent almost, I want to say, 20 to 25 minutes and hadn't taken a question at that point. I'll say 20 minutes. Let's be conservative. And and he talked about all the initiatives and, and how important it is in terms of the ability to, uh, with mental health and how important that is. He talked about the initiative of taking Big Ten student-athletes to Montgomery and to Selma and to go across the... Edmund Pettus Bridge. All very important. But when it comes to um, now some other items, some other items that are very important the fans are extremely interested in. Um, I'm getting a text from Girardi. I'm getting a text from Jack Ham at the same time. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. No, I know. Well, we got a lot going on here. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot going on between the with the with the three of us right now. There's a lot going on. Um, the um, so let's get to 
Let's start with what the commissioner says about name, image, and likeness. We'll do that first. Uh, we'll try and tick off some of the easy, easier stuff right away that's very boom, boom um, easy to get to. Name, image, and likeness. The commissioner said he would like to see national, national legislation on name, image, and likeness. All right. I am not usually in favor of national legislation on almost anything because I just don't, you know, because I think over the years it's been shown that on many issues, and especially on sports, the government isn't very good at it. They aren't sports fans. They don't understand the the inner workings of sports, things like that. It doesn't mean that, you know, that they haven't done a good job on some things, like, you know, the antitrust legislation and so forth. But when it comes to stuff like this, you're like, okay, you got to have the, a depth of understanding of it. But the problem that you have is that the NCAA has shown no leadership on this issue at all because they are so fearful of lawsuits, litigation. So they've shown no it. So now let's take Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers is the perfect example. The Texas law, he reclassified, instead of his senior year in high school, he reclassified to go to college. Right. But the Texas law kept him from getting NIL money. But Ohio's law opens the door for him to get NIL money. So he went to Ohio State, and he did exactly what we said he was going to do. He'd go there, he'd get money, he would never play, and he'd transfer. Okay, I think we went four for four on that one, Matt. And he went back to Texas, where now he is qualified to do it. But what the Ewers case shows is the inequity in state laws. Right, That's what I'm trying to show here, Matt, is the inequity in state laws and why he did what he did. So what Kevin Warren was saying today is that, you know, look, essentially he did not say that there was no national leadership from the NCAA on it. He doesn't have to. It's obvious they have shown no leadership on it at all. With that in mind, he doesn't want to put together a Big Ten NIL uh, directive because it may be one where the SEC puts one together and it's, it's quote, better for the athlete and they're going to flock to the SEC in droves and the Big Ten stewards. You know what I mean? You don't want to get into that situation where the, you're the one person that puts it out there, then somebody else takes it and they make it easier. You know, from a competitive point of view, right? So he doesn't want to put something out there, and I don't blame him. It's common sense. So he's calling for a national bill on NIL. Okay, so that's one. College football playoff. He is absolutely in favor of expansion of it. He did not give a number. Don't blame him. 16, by the way, has been the number that's been coming up this week. That's fine with me. Uh, there's no difference between 12 and 16. just means the four that would get buys just have to play. It's the same number of weekends. So no issue there. Uh, he's absolutely in favor of college football playoff. He did not say whether he thinks uh, conference championship have automatic bids. He did not say that. Uh, I think he was indirectly asked that, but he never answered it. But it was very wishy-washy on how it was asked. So I don't blame him for not addressing it, because I don't really think the most important part is he was in favor of the expansion. He's also in favor of expansion for this reason, getting multiple TV partners in there. 
Okay. As you and I have talked about many times, Matt, that's critical because that will drive, quote, the number up. It's one thing to have ESPN be involved in all of them and be the sole provider of it. That's fine. Except that also means they have to shoulder the entire burden of the financial number. By getting multiple partners in, now you've got a sharing of the wealth and you can drive the the overall number up because you have multiple partners. College football playoff is the only one that does not have multiple TV partners for its championships or its playoffs. The only one. NBA, Turner, ESPN, ABC. NHL, TNT, ESPN. Major League Baseball, Turner, Fox, ESPN for their playoffs. Okay? All right? You get to the NCAA basketball tournament, Turner, CBS. And, of course, the NFL is everybody. ABC, ESPN, CBS, Fox, NBC, and now Amazon Prime. So everybody else has multiple TV partners, with the exception of the college football playoff, which at the moment has exclusivity. So the commissioner is square square on that. Expand the playoff, multiple TV partners, it'll drive the number up. Okay. Okay. USC and UCLA will be full members right out of the gate. They will not have to go through a seven-year integration to become full members of the media rights package. Nebraska, Rutgers, and Maryland had to go through that seven years. So right now, Nebraska's been full bore now for, this is, I think, their fourth full season of being full go on the media rights. Now, Rutgers and Maryland are in different spots. Each had to borrow, and especially Rutgers. Rutgers had to borrow against it. Conference has given them loans to help them out of their financial trouble. So they don't really get above the Mendoza line and do a full partnership until 2027. And I got that from NJ.com. UCLA and Rutgers will be full out of the gate. Now remember... The number the Big Ten probably could have had in April, which is going to be a great number to begin with, on July 1, went from that number to an even bigger number with the addition of the Los Angeles market, UCLA, and USC. So they should be full partners right away because they drove up the number for everybody. It also sent a clear message to Notre Dame that if you come in, you're going to be a full partner right away as well. When Nebraska came in, the Big Ten was in the middle of a TV contract. When Rutgers and Maryland came in, the Big Ten was in the middle of a TV contract. Now UCLA and USC are coming in, and the Big Ten is negotiating its new TV contract, and they'll be one year into it when USC and UCLA get in. The commissioner then brought up, we're going to be welcoming new media partners. Not a new media partner, new media partners, plural. And they hope to have the announcement sooner rather than later. 
He also, again, discussed, and it's, you know, it's a great saying that he has, to be honest with you. We're trying to appeal to everybody from 5 to 105 in terms of how they consume media. What does that tell you, Matt? That tells you that one of the packages is a streaming package. I would think. Right? So, again, you're trying to glean all this information from what he's saying. Then he brought up something, to be honest with you, Matt, I had not thought of at all. I had not thought about this at all. And that is a late-night Big Ten TV spot at 9.30, 10, 10.30. Well, it makes sense now, with UCLA and you have seen the picture. Now, for anybody who's sitting there saying, oh, my God, Penn State's going to be playing at 10.30 at night on the coast. No, 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 no. That's probably not how it's going to work for Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. No, 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 no. Those are meant to be primetime games or prime spot games. This has written all over it. Hey, great, it's 10.30. Rutgers is playing at UCLA. <laughs> hey, it's 10.30. Great, Maryland's playing at USC. See what I mean? Absolutely. But it's on TV. That means that the Big Ten can go on the air with Big Noon kickoff at 10 in the morning and take it to 2.30 in the morning with the last game on certain weekends. You're talking at that point about 16 and a half hours of consecutive Big Ten television. Copycatting what the NFL does when you think about it. Yes, except the 10.30 time slot. Right. So I had not thought about that. I really had not thought about it. I mean, I thought about it in basketball to be at some late-night Big Ten games, you know, at USC and UCLA like you have right now. Um, but I hadn't thought about that. And for any, oh, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, playing 10-30, no. <laughs> okay? No offense. This has, hey, great news. Purdue is playing at UCLA. It's 10-30 at night. <laughs> Minnesota's playing at USC. It's 10-30 at night. That is that's what I think is um, that's interesting. So all that we got from his press conference say expansion, yes, the door is open on expansion, but I think he's got one school in mind. I he didn't say this, and you'd have to come up, I think, with somebody else to make it. Um, even if you want to keep it even and that's the Notre Dame chip they're the only ones that can make even though Notre Dame is not an AAU school UCLA and USC are they're the ones anytime, if you have a medium number for example, the Pac-12 is a medium number, ACC is a medium number, Big 12 is a medium number, okay? If you have Washington and Oregon into any of those conferences, and of course they're already in the Pac-12, obviously, they'll increase the number, right? 
But when you're talking about the numbers the Big Ten could be getting, Washington and Oregon do not have the ability to take a gigantic number and make it bigger. They don't have that kind of impact. In other words, in round numbers, say you're going to get $80 million the first year. Would Washington and Oregon get you 90 Probably not. Everybody probably would end up getting about $73 million a year because they would dilute it. Notre Dame's the one that can take 80 and make it 90. Notre Dame's the one that can take 90 and make it 100. Just like USC and UCLA took whatever number before and drove it up. Penn State experience, Penn State's done that. That's the ability to drive up the number. Now, is there a window on this? Yes. Notre Dame, their contract runs out 2025. <clears throat> if you are looking, for example, the world always talks about, oh, they should bring Stanford in with them. Okay. Remember, the Pac-12 is in its open negotiating window with ESPN now. It's 30-day exclusive window. The Pac-12 contract runs out in two years. So it runs out in 23 months. That's why USC and UCLA can be cut loose. But if you want to get another school from the Pac-12 to couple with Notre Dame, say you wanted to, say it was Stanford, remember, there's a window on that because if there's a new TV contract, that would bring with it a new grant of rights. So there's a lot that goes into it here. So those are some of the things I was able to take out of this today. All right, wrap it up in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us on the show today. Sponsored by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street and Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. It's you know, interesting. We are talking about the transfer portal today. I always hate when this argument happens. Somebody said, well, students on campus can transfer. Well, yeah, Matt can transfer from Ohio State to Penn State if he's a student, right? Of course. This means instead of, instead of paying at Ohio State, he's paying at Penn State. <laughs> when you're on scholarship, somebody else is paying the freight. What's interesting is that Everyone thinks that everybody finds a spot. The numbers are staggering. As the the numbers who don't find spots. Now, obviously, some of them are walk-ons that enter the transfer portal and don't find another home. There's no question about that. But there are greater numbers than people realize of people who enter the transfer portal and don't end up anywhere. Now, again, some of them are walk-ons, but it's not the land of milk and honey. 